we time and time again, we sit up here and wait to see if somebody else could give another personal approval to analyze the game. Man, get the hell out of here right, and miss me with it, this. Let's, let's Straya, jeez, nearly blacked out. That was a bit of a tough one. How you going? That's right. This NBA starts Wednesday, June first. Pinching a punch for the first day of the month, man. Love it. Oh man, I don't get to say it's gonna be May anymore. But anyway, the NBA finals are here, and we're doing our preview show. That's right. I'm your host, James Clements. I'm a writer sometimes. So whomstever wants to pay me that sweet, sweet folding stuff here in Larry Armour Studios, freezing. I don't know what's going on with this polar vortex blast, but it sucks. Anyway, uh, we're talking NBA Finals today. That's it. Previewing all the things. All of them. Well, at least 10 of the things that I find most interesting. Golden State versus Boston. Five big questions for each of the teams. Uh, and what a matchup it is. It's unreal. We've got a bunch of uh, listener yeah nas as well. Uh, we'll do a quick Patty Mills Game Day Baller Game Day Inspiration Board. And then we'll also go through King Jimmy's Locks of the Finals. <laughs> How's that sound? Uh, all basically my favorite weird tips and bets and stuff that have been floating around. I'm excited. Let's get into it. This is episode, I believe, 827 of NBA Australia. Finals? 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 Let's bloody well go. This is Joe Ingalls, and you're listening to NBA Australia. Watch out for the shark attack! Ah, you better, you better watch out for the Draymond attack out of nowhere if you're KD. KD's just sitting at home, probably scrolling through Twitter obsessively like a goddamn lunatic, and uh, comes across a snippet. Draymond's podcaster is basically calling out KD and saying, uh, what, what do you say? He said, the, they need those shiny objects for them to be able to analyze what's going on. Steph Curry got double teamed seven times the amount KD did. The impact he has on a game, if you don't understand basketball, you're going to say he needs a finals MVP to validate who he is. Oh, boy. So, uh, yeah, good times. Just off the top row, Draymond, you'd love to see it. So let's start there with the daily... Whip around, that's right, the news before we get into the NBA Finals preview show. Love this. This is much fun. I'm enjoying this. So Draymond dunks on KD a little bit, and uh, KD claps back as he's wont to do. From my view of it, this is 100% false, says KD. Uh, Draymond says, uh, you have to learn to listen to full takes and not snippets before you get baited into tweeting. Champ. Oh, he champed him! You know, champ KD, even if he is a champ. I mean, he's got two half rings at least. Uh, <laughs> but KD, in a very good use of brethren, I enjoyed that. Oh, I seen it, my brethren. I appreciate the compliments, but I disagree with what you said about double teams. That's all. I love the show. Interesting things. Then a bunch of nerds obviously go, Oh, well, you see, uh, KD actually didn't get double teamed that much in the finals. 
Face Dave dead. It's like, yeah. KD's also seven foot fucking tall and can see over double teams. So it's basically kind of fucking pointless if you're trying to like, well, he's going to give up the ball anyway and he's going to pass it and beat us that way. Whereas Steph, if you throw a double team at him, you're basically trying to stop him from getting the ball, stop him from moving the ball, or hopefully stopping him from shooting the ball. Because he's only 6'3". This is the dumbest shit I ever heard. Shut up, idiots. Of course, oh, gee, you didn't double team. They they didn't get double teamed as much as the other guy. He mustn't be as good. That's the dumbest shit you ever heard. Anyway, other news. Who's better, Jimmy, KD or Steph? KD. I'm just saying. It's because he's fucking like half a foot taller. (laughs) One of the greatest scorers the fucking game's ever seen. Steph, the greatest shooter the game has ever seen. But KD can just do a little bit more. Just saying. Uh, Right, other news. Luke Walton. He got hired. Good on him. I do love it when, like, our fired head coaches are like, oh, nah, man. I'll just uh, go take an assistant gig, eh? I'm like, motherfucker, I'm sitting on a beach for like a year. I'm still getting paid for my last job, right? Yeah, sick. And if I take another job, then that might eat into my payout. All right, I'll just hang out in the Dominican Republic for a year. What's going on? <laughs> but good job, Luke Walton. You remember, he played with the Cavs. That's right, for Cleveland. Cleveland! And now he's coaching with JB Bickerstaff. Uh, last little bits of news. Embiid had some thumb surgery in that bung thumb you might remember from the semifinals. Uh, but he reckons he's going to be good for, basically, good to go for the training camp, etc. And then the last little bit of news that broke today was that Quinn Snyder, the Utah Yaz, it's a soft J until they win anything, uh... Basically, Woj jumped out there going, oh, guess what? His future is unclear. It's like, all right, cool. Uh, but then you read the articles and it's like, yeah, they've had, you know, chats with ownership, management, etc. They're still not entirely sure if they want to keep him around. Uh, they're talking up what they're going to do going forward. You knew that someone is going to be the full guy here in Utah, right? Whether it be Rudy Gobez, Stavoltawe, or Donnie Mitchell, the easy and cowardly way out is to fire the coach, <laughs> right? To go, oh, well, it didn't work with Donnie and Rudy Gobert, but it's probably Quinn Snyder's fault. Meanwhile, you don't look at just the fucking wreckage of that Utah Jazz roster that is outside of Donnie Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and just the horrifying shit show of wings that they have And uh, the bad karma they're now saddled with because they traded away Jingle and Joe Ingles. Um, So apparently the Yaz have offered to extend Quinn Snyder and his contract. He's got two years left on his contract. Don't forget this. And they've had a chat. It's like, what are we going to do? And, uh, you know, Justin Zanuck, the GM of the Jazz, has come out and said, look, you know, he's great. He's good. I love him. And then over the last little bit, it sort of seems like it's taken a bit of a turn for the wonky. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and philosophical differences was mentioned in there. It's like, oh, God, that doesn't sound good. Uh, but also, Snyder has also basically said, yeah, the open jobs on the market in this offseason, he wanted no bar of it, screw that noise, whatever, and uh, here we are. So, I don't know, it was a bit of a weird sort of curveball out of nowhere, especially after the Lakers had just hired Darvin Ham. You might remember that from uh, the other day. And basically, Charlotte are kind of sitting out there going, oh, what? 
Yeah, Quinn Snyder, eh? But uh, anyway, good times, great memories, Quinn Snyder. I know, it seems like Danny Ainge is going to roll in there and just go, right, let's fuck some shit up first. I don't like this coach. Fuck him off. You know? Sounds about right. Anyway, that's the off-season. How about the season that's still going on? And we do our 2022 NBA Strayer. Finals, 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 finals. Preview. Right after this. This is Matthew Delvedover, and you're listening to NBA Australia. Welcome to the NBA Australia NBA Finals. Fine, fine. Fine, fine. Preview. Alright, let's do the damn thing, shall we? Woo! Because we're here. Well, we're going to day in a bit, but still. It's Wednesday, first game's Friday. How did we get here? It's the 2022 NBA Finals, and this is the 2022 NBA Australia Finals Preview of 2022. <laughs> and I thought, looking at this, just going, look, we sort of rushed so headlong into the playoffs, playoffs, that you sort of turn around, it's the play-in games. You turn around, the playoffs have started. For some reason, the NBA were just like, we need to rush headlong through every aspect of these playoffs right now. And uh, here we are, start of June, and we have an NBA Finals for the ages. Absolutely love this. We've got a great uniform matchup, one of the all-time great possible uniform matchups, and uh, two very interesting teams. Probably the best matchup of the last remaining four teams that we could have had, which I love. I'm here for it. So, how do we get here? This is the season looking back. The Golden State weird season. They came out like the absolute bloody clappers. You might remember that. Do you remember that? They didn't have clay, didn't matter. They were still 18 and 2. 18 and 2! That is absolute chaos. That's a lot of wins and not many losses, right? And uh, so, basically, without clay, you've just got them absolutely cruising through the first half of the season. And then you've got an interesting sort of uh, moment where. Everyone's sort of just going, hang on a second. Golden State are just, they're back. Like, they're, like Phoenix were very good at the same time. Well, Phoenix were like 17 and 3, I think, at the same time. 18 and 3. And uh, Golden State cruised through to the 18 and 2. Looking great. Looking amazing. They roll into the uh, new year 28 and 7. And Draymond hurts his hammy back at the start of January. Remember the game where Clay came back? Draymond got out on the. Uh, <laughs> Hardwood for seven seconds just to do a foul, just so he could get back on the court with Clay. And everyone's like, "Oh, isn't that nice?" And Golden State, they're sort of like the weird hanging over the uh, season of Clay Thompson's return, James Wiseman's return, and Clay finally comes back, looking like a bit of a shell of himself at times. You get that he hasn't played for two and a half years, and. They have a weird stretch in February and March where they, after like, I think they win nine straight, they lose nine of their next 11 at some point. They lose Steph Curry to a foot injury after landing on Marcus Smart. You might remember that. Doesn't play the rest of the regular season, but they sort of 
come out of the uh, rest of the regular season playing 500 ball down the stretch. They win their last five, though, so it gives them a nice little boost. And they stay in the three seed because there were moments where they're like, oh, God, how far could they slip? Uh, they end up 53 and 29. They end up as a three seed. And it's like, cool. Steph's going to be back for the start of the playoffs. Off we go. They smash Denver in the first round because that's Joker and not much else. And uh, as soon as everyone just goes, right, we'll slow it down. All we need to do when it comes to beating Denver in a series is making sure that Joker doesn't completely obliterate us just by himself because the rest of the team sucks balls. And so they smash them. Uh, Similar vibe almost with the Grizzlies, apart from that amazingly crazy game uh, five that Memphis won at home where they smashed the Warriors and the Warriors were like, dude, we're up 3-1. We don't give a fuck. <laughs> Go back to San Francisco. Beat them, and this is it. They didn't have Jar, so they've kind of gotten through one team that didn't have Jam and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. They get through the next team that doesn't have Jar Morant for most of it, and you've got Dylan Brooks literally submarining an entire game that could have completely turned that series, but... The Warriors hold them off. Off they go. They win in six. And then they smash the bejesus out of an overmatched Dallas team in the Western Conference Finals um, who came into a series feeling pretty good about having beaten Phoenix and not realizing the beast they were about to run into that were the Warriors where it felt like at least the Grizzlies understood the assignment a little bit better. They have just that weirder array of quick, young, smaller guard types that they can throw around on the perimeter and at least try to slow down some of the uh, Warriors. The Mavs are almost a little bit too big, which is a bit of a weird one. But either way, here we are. The Warriors get through a season that they started 18-2, sort of scuffled around for a lot of it, and they make their sixth finals in eight years. Their first since losing Toronto back in 2019. Kawaii. What it do, baby? Uh, either way, it's kind of strange. Like, I've mentioned this before, but I love eras and epochs when it comes to NBA. And the 2015 through 2022 Warriors is just such a great one. Um, you know, we've gotten Steph after his first few years of like dealing with injury problems has been absolutely fucking amazing ever since. But the thing is, he's now 34. That is crazy to think about. He still can't grow a beard. <laughs> Clay and Draymond at 32. Draymond feels like a fucking old 32. Whereas Clay feels like a very young 32 because he hasn't played for a bunch of time. Uh, Iguodala is older than the moon. Uh, but they have what? That weird mix then, don't they? They've got Wiggins, they've got Looney, they've got Pooh. And then the Rooks like Cumbucket and Moody. Like Andrew Wiggins is the oldest of that group at 27. But then you've also got Otto Porter Jr. You've got GP2. But it's just a weird, crazy balance of youth and experience that has gotten them to this point. And you kind of love it. Like, it's a weird mix on their side, and it matches up very strangely with Boston, where their superstars are the really young dudes, whereas the Warriors, their stars are the older dudes. It's very strange, very cool, but the Warriors sitting pretty. Uh, the highest seeds are there. Got home court, 53 and 12. Well, not the highest seed, but the... Uh, Bitter record, 53-29. And they finally get to do a Chase Center finals run. Off they go. Feeling good about themselves. They don't have Rorickle over there because I don't know how much of a difference folks realize that uh, San Francisco and Oakland makes. You know, you're going to get the Bart. 
over from San Francisco over to Oakland. He had to walk through a crazy gauntlet just to get there. They were famed for having insane fans, and they did. And they moved to San Francisco. Which is where all the rich people live, bruz. And here we are. Anyway, that's going to be fun. Flip side, Boston. Gross start to the year. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. They fucking sucked for so long of this season. They struggled to get Ima Yudoka's defensive concepts and implement them and just get it down pat. And then once they did. I mean, the weirdest part was, I think, they had that horrible opening season double overtime loss to New York. Bing bong, which turned out to literally be the highlight of the Knicks season. But then they lose, I think, through to the Knicks again on January 7, that RJ Barrett game-winning three, right? And in between, they've got like a heartbreaker. They lose to Philly just before Christmas. They lose to Washington, the Nets, the Lakers, as well as Golden State, actually, on December 18. Um, But they just felt like not a good team. Not a good team at all. There's like the crazy stat that for over two years' worth of basketball games with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they were an exactly 500 team. But they're 18 and 21 on Jan 7. They lose to the Knicks again. They're 11th in the East. 11th in January! And then it turns around. Ah, it's like a sport movie. Oh, God. I love it. It's like Hoosiers. Uh, But not really. Um, They ship out Dennis Schroeder. I am German Rondo for Danny Tice. Josh Richardson goes out. They get Derek White. They've got more time for Peyton Pritchard all of a sudden. They don't have to put up with fucking German Rondo. Like, Richo had been up and down in that bit, but Derek White just gave them a steadier hand. Danny Tice, look, he just knows his system, comes back. He and Al Horford, it's like old times. And the Celtics went 33-10 and 10 the rest of the way. Seriously, 18-21, and 21, they go 33-10 and 10 the rest of the way. There's a nine-game winning streak in there. There's a streak where they win 11-12. They finish up hanging out in the two seed. They sweep Brooklyn. They sweep them. The thing that's going to be lost about that is that it was a weirdly, very crazily tight series. The Nets should have won game one. They didn't. There's a couple of other games that could have gone either way. They outplay them, and specifically Tatum outplays KD. And it's just that thing where you go, the Boston Celtics defense, which has been the best defense in the NBA this season, is on one. And here we go. So they then go seven with Millie Walker. It was Algonquin for the good land, and then it was not because the Celtics were down 3-2. Tatum outplays Giannis. They beat the Bucks, The reigning champs. Absolute chaos versions here. And then they go 7 with Miami after being up 3-2 this time. Tatum just outplays Jimmy Butler. Wins the Larry Bird Eastern Conference Finals MVP. And now they're going into a series against the Warriors where they've actually gotten a couple of days off. The Warriors have substantially had a longer period of time off. It's like, oh, we'll just take a week off, bro. What do you reckon? So where does it leave us? We've got the number one ranked D versus the second. Since January 7, though, Boston's been number one. Golden State have been sixth. It's the tricky part, right? Like With Golden State having such a great start to the season and then Boston having such a great finish, the season-long stats are so balanced out. Uh, you've got ninth and 14th in offense, but since January 7, Boston been second, Golden State 19th you got 1st versus 13th in net rating in that time as well, right, from Jan 7. So in the playoffs, you got the top two, obviously, Golden State and uh, a second Boston first in the net rating. Golden State's offense has been number one, though. Boston's has been eighth because uh, 
I don't know if you've watched Boston, but sometimes, fuck, it's like just banging your head against a wall, that offense. Meanwhile, though, their defense has been the second best in the uh, playoffs. Golden State's been the sixth. So, they're weirdly enough, fifth and seventh in pace as well, which is an interesting thing to remember. So, I've just sort of sat there. I've had so much back and forth with folks in my life who love basketball and are just, like, excited. And I think this is the one thing I want everybody to remember. As a neutral fan, this is fucking rad. <laughs> like, seriously. Golden State, Boston, I mean, Boston, a storied franchise, all that bullshit. Uh, I've been to Boston a bunch of times. I'm a Patriots fan, a Red Sox fan, a Bruins fan. I am not a Celtics fan. And... The Warriors as well, like to have this epoch, as I mentioned, that this era that they've defined still going is amazing. So we get a great uniform matchup. We've got two awesome and funky weird teams going hammer and tongs. So let's do it. Five big questions Jimmy has for each team. Let's answer them. Golden State. This is the preview. This is the breakdowns. This is what we're talking. Number one, does this Golden State offense that I just lauded so much about those third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and seventh movements and options on offense that led to so many open shots and cuts versus Dallas, do they still get to do that against a much quicker, much better, much well-drilled switching defensive team like Boston? Oh, boy, because this is one of those things where in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't feel like a final series should really rely on Andrew Wiggins as much as it might actually do for the Warriors. You know what I'm saying? Basically, I feel like Wiggins and Poole being able to find the creases that Steph, Clay, and Draymond uh, cause and create might end up maybe not dictating the series, but at least pushing it one way or the other. Because like, if Boston is switching, all that off-ball movement is just going to be key to keeping them moving, keeping them scrambling, trying to just discombobulate them a little bit too much. And maybe it goes a little bit wonky, right? Uh, that leads into the second one. Is pull the Warriors barometer from game to game? Or is it clay? What do you reckon? Because one of them each game, I feel like, will either end up causing the Warriors to win or perhaps lose, depending on how well they shoot or just play on offense. Like When Poole is just humming, he's driving to the hoop, he's getting sweet buckets out of fucking nowhere. Like, Jordan Poole just did that? Holy shit. And he's nailing a couple of threes here and there. Say, I mean, Clay is the obvious one as well, right? Like, if he just gets cranking, like, the game's fucking over, basically. But Poole fills in so many scoring gaps that it sometimes gets overlooked, right? But I think, crucially for Poole and Clay and the Warriors, like, the two of them have just a knack for scoring points when all else breaks down. They're the key focal points for the offense when Steph's sitting. So if they're not actually making the scoreboard tick over... That can really put the Warriors in a hole really quickly. So Pool or Clay as your barometer. I feel like Pool game to game, if he has a good game, the Warriors tend to just win those. Just in general, as a general rule. Clay will have the sort of efficient nights where he's just like, ah, oh, he just shot eight of sixteen from three and broke another record. Or he'll go five for seventeen. And the Warriors will still leak it out because he hits one or two good shots in like the third quarter and they roll. But still, I feel like Poole's the bigger barometer, but what's their offensive outlook going against this Boston defense? Can they keep it cranking? 
It's going to be crucial. Will Looney giving them the board advantage like he did versus Dallas? I'd say not because it's going to be a bit tougher between Time Lord, Horford, Tatum. Even the guards on Boston are just that much bigger. There's just so much more size. Then on da- like Dallas, you go, oh, well, Luke is big. And then you're like, yeah, but Jalen Brunson's tiny. He's a little, little baby man. <laughs> and like Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock and co. Actually clear, but hello. Uh, feels like they should have been rebounding better than they did. I'm just saying. But Looney, like, you saw him just do yeoman's work. I love that phrase, yeoman's work. On the boards, time and time again, that like, Especially when Golden State win the rebounding battle, they win the game. They control the game, more importantly. They get to do what they want. you got to finish the possessions by rebounding. So, Looney, can he manfully battle against Time Lord, Horford, and Tatum? Like, they're pretty lucky the Time Lord's banged up, I think, because this would be a uh, much bigger advantage, I think, on Boston's side than it is at the moment with a uh, nicked-up Time Lord and an old-ass Hal Horford. <laughs> So, bit of a tricky one. Looney could have way more outsized impact than you think. Uh, two more. Do they have? And these are just the five questions I've got. Do they have enough perimeter size defensively, the Warriors? What do you reckon? Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney. I mean, between Clay, Wigo, Draymond, it's enough size, enough switchability, but they're going to be, you know, likely matched up on Jalen Brown, Tatum, Horford which, again, is also a lot of size. So how's your speed? Like, Because outside of Clay and Wiggins, that sort of Jalen Brown-Tatum defensive matchup is going to be a problem. Like, they need a healthy Otto Porter. He's fucked his foot. They need a healthy Gary Payton the second, the mitten, to just cover just the sheer bulk size and athleticism of Tatum, Brown, and Smart. Like, Gary Payton the second is reportedly, like, actually up for a game-time decision for game one, which would be unreal but really that perimeter size is going to be just key to them frustrating Tatum and Brown and probably the key to them winning right like if Wiggins can just put in a huge effort on both ends and make Tatum just work make Brown work if Draymond can do the uh sort of Draymond shit that you expect unless like you know between Wiggins and Draymond just slow down Tatum you just it's not like a fingers crossed moment it's like yeah you should be able to do that that's a lot of size, but I don't. Mean, they'll try to limit Boston's like this. The defensive idea, I think, behind the Warriors would be a bit of a drop coverage, right? Late switching when they need to. I mean, the Bucks did a bit of that against the Celtics as well, right? And the Warriors' big dudes are a little bit better equipped to deal with the late switching than the Bucks were, because I mean, shit, we just saw Looney doing that against Dallas, right, and against Luca, and it kind of worked. So. This defensive idea of what they're going to be able to do, the size of it is not that much of a question mark to me, but I'm fascinated to see how it plays out because Tatum is bigger than you remember. Jalen Brown's bigger than you think. Smart's bigger than you think. <laughs> and you're going to match up that with Curry, Thompson, Wigo, Draymond, etc., and away you go. It's going to be fascinating, isn't it? And then the last one is obviously the one that we've been fucking just apparently having to talk about game in, game out. Or day in, day out, because we've got nothing else to talk about because there's no games. Can Steph Curry win the finals? I don't care about finals MVP, but I'm more concerned. The big question I've got for each team is what Curry do we get? Do we get a finals MVP performance? Or do we get a guy who props up what everyone else does and throws in the odd game-breaking performance like he's done before in finals? Like, 
is going to be going up against Marcus Smart and Derek White. Uh, In a pinch, the Celtics can just, you know, they're switching through Jalen Brown as well. That's a bit of size. And we know that Steph's good enough to overcome literally anything you throw at him. He's won three fucking titles already. I mean, you think about the 2018 finals, he has games where he drops five, nine, and seven threes. But in 2019, they lose Clay, they've lost KD. You've got Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, and co. And it wasn't as easy because the coverage has changed because they didn't have to account for these other dudes. So Curry going against this size, this physicality, this Boston defense, like ever since he came back from the foot injury, he shot 45% from the floor, almost 38% from three in the playoffs. He's averaged like 26 and a half points. And I'm fascinated to think, like, does he push for a finals MVP? Does he go, right, the way we're going to win is if I'm actually pretty fucking good. Like, knowing that he's favorite for a uh, finals MVP, does it get in his head? Like, can anything even get in Steph Curry's head at this point? I mean, I'm interested in. But either way, I think he has games where he struggles against the size and physicality of the Celtics, but he still has a good series. And if the Warriors win, he wins finals MVP because he gets just shakes loose enough. Because the complexity of this offense, it's one of those things where it feels like it negates physicality just a little bit because they're so fucking quick with the ball. Just those release points, the decision-making, it's so on point. It's so quick. It's not like Steph just like staring you in the eyes as he's dribbling, 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 and then putting his head down and driving to the hoop that much, right? It's not a Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Luca kind of vibe. And uh, I kind of, I'm excited to see how he responds because there have been finals when he hasn't been that great. You know, we'll talk about that later, but goddamn. Either way, what curry do we get is the last five big, of the five big questions I've got. Do we get all world fuck you, Steph Curry? Or do we get, oh, God, they get to plan for me for across an entire series, Steph Curry. Like, remember, just like, think about the 2016 finals, right? Like, he shot 40% from the field in that one, and they lose. But at the same time, he shoots 40% from the floor in 2018, and they fucking sweep Cleveland. They should have lost game one, but good job, J.R. Smith. Um, And the three-point shooting, fine. You know, 40% in 2016, 41.5% in 2018. It's those weird ones where he still averaged 30%. Sorry, 30, over 30, yeah, 34.5% from three in 2019, but 30.5 points again without the other dudes out there. I'm fascinated to see what we get and how Boston actually play up against him. So, with that in mind, let's do the Celtics. All right, let's do it. Boston, how healthy are they really? That's one of the big questions I've got. Really, how how like actually healthy are they? Because so like every other question basically relies on that. Like Smart and Time Lord, are they remote remotely close to 100%? Because on D, they're impossibly important, right? Like Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. His ball handling as well, though, and an occasional just scoring outburst helps heaps. Well, Time Lord's defense is obviously fucking huge, especially when you're switching. You need his length just to cover all the gaps against Warriors. But also, I mean, his vertical threat on offense just opens up that Celtics offense that much more uh, that you sort of see it slam shut when he's not out there. Uh, but how healthy is this team? Smart's, like, ankle sprain look fucking brutal. And, yeah, it's going to be almost, you know, 
middle of the uh, series, he'll be two weeks away and he be, should be feeling all right. But, jeez. He looked a little bit spry against Miami, but at the same time, he did miss all those shots against the uh, Heat in Game 7. But either way, look, health, health, like health is going to be a massive thing for Boston. If they can stay healthy, they stay in the series, I think. Uh, number two, defense. What do Boston do with Tatum and Horford? And are they just switching it through Draymond, Wigo and Co and letting Tatum just, you know, be able to go, right, Andrew Wiggins, if you're going to beat us, so be it. Because, I mean, you've got Smart probably matched up against Curry, Brown against Clay, and then you've either got that combo of Tatum up against Wiggins or Horford up against Wiggins or Horford on Draymond or Tatum on Draymond. And Time Lord obviously up against Looney. And then you've got Grant Williams coming in if you're going to go small. I kind of am fascinated by this idea of Tatum on Draymond, though, because like you've got the Curry and Green pick and roll that the Warriors is like, this is great every time we drop it off. And you can't play drop against that, and you can't blitz Curry unless you just want to get fucking killed. So switching keeps everything in front of you, ideally. And... If you have Tatum on green, guess what? You can switch him onto Curry and suddenly you got a lot more size. So, I don't know. The Celtics, look, they switched off ball screens at a higher rate than anybody else. That's what the Celtics do. The Heat were the only team that switched pick and rolls at a higher rate than the Celtics as well. So, I don't know. It's kind of the cool thing about this Boston team. They've got defenders across the board that can just go up and down a position, no stress. And they've also got Peyton Pritchard. But, um... <laughs> that's it like for both these teams there's like weak links just like Steph Curry will be hunted uh, Poole will be hunted Pritchard will be hunted if he plays but Boston it feels like there's probably just a couple of things that you can't really hunt on D for them uh, number three can they have a goddamn series where their offense just doesn't try to gack away games entirely right the amount of times that this has happened they've reverted back to their worst instincts from earlier in the season has been a weird limiter on this Celtics team like They've hit some incredible heights. And outside of Miami, though, I don't know if there's a team, these playoffs, who's like, apart from oh, maybe the Mavs. <laughs> that checks out. But there's a team whose best offensive output and their worst offensive output has the widest gap. You know, like, it's crazy. Because you'll see just games where they can't dribble. Jalen Brown will, like, just fall over. It's like, Jalen, you just, you just tried to dribble while driving and you just fell to the ground. What is happening? <laughs> so if they limit those turnovers, they stop gacking it up, just don't give the other team the ball on your offensive possessions, you might win games. Um, smart and his driving is important to just how that offense works for Boston as well, right? So if his ankle's feeling a little bit better and he can drive and just get like... He has a great knack for like f- scoring like f- those random four to six points in a game where he's just driven... And kept the ball. And you're like, oh, fuck, he's at the hoop. But, of course, he's, like, pinged an ankle. So those drives are suddenly a little bit less sharp, a little bit less hoppy, and uh, a little bit easier to contain. So pretty interesting to see how this offense just operates and flows and how it comes out out of the gates. Because we know that the Warriors are going to be prepared, even though they're going to have that rest. And, like, the Celtics, when they've come out like the Clappers and actually just gotten off to a good start, they've looked unbeatable. Every time they've come out and looked a bit slow, it's just like, oh, this is going to be a fucking slog. Jeez. <laughs> so uh, another part of that is, do we see more Grant Williams on offense and will it matter? Because it was weird how they just, he stopped shooting threes in the uh, conference finals. He went 2 of 10 over the last four games. 
So ever since he was just shooting with reckless, happy abandon against Milwaukee, okay, he's basically stopped. But anyway, but his energy and hustle that I just belted on about after Game 7 was just fucking huge down the stretch of that Miami series. Because as annoying as he was, all series, he showed up when it mattered, got a couple of those junk buckets. You know I love junk buckets. Buckets that you shouldn't get, that you somehow get just because of energy. That's what you might need from Grant Williams. Horford's good like that as well, but offensively he's probably more critical because you're actually relying on him on times like, Al, you're open, shoot that three. And he's like, not a problem, boss. Um, Grant Williams, though, is just like that little bit more hesitant now. Like, ah, oh, should I shoot this three? Is he going to get angry at me? Anyway, and then the last big question for Boston is, can Tatum eat? Can he be finals MVP Jason Tatum? Can he also not wear a fucking Kobe armband? Jesus. Anyway, uh, he was good without ever really sort of, it felt like dominating in a game against the Heat, right? He was just doing, like, those two buckets that I just fucking yammed on about time and time again for game seven. Uh, the three, and then the Kobe step back uh, were amazing. But it's not like he was out there dropping the Jimmy Butler 47-point game, etc. Um, I mean, as mentioned, with the defense, they've got Wiggins, they've got Draymond to throw at him. It feels like this should be set up for the Tatum just goes, fuck you, let's kick some ass, take some names series. And if the Celtics are going to win the finals, if they're going to win, they need Jason Tatum to be a legit top five just fuck you superstar dude who can actually carry your team to a title because as good as Jalen Brown is, he's got to be you too. It's got to be the Tatum show because he is a fucking world beater, possibly. Now I can go out there and beat the world. What do you reckon? Sound good? Well, there you go. There's 10 questions about the series and about the teams that I'm most interested in. Let's go do some year nars and we'll cover off, cover off some other stuff. Sound good? Good. All right, let's go do that right now. This is Cam Glidden. This is Anthony Drimmick. This is Mitch McCarran. This is Jason Kiddie. This is Daryl McDonald. Hey guys, this is Hugh Greenwood. Yo, what's going on? This is Ellie. This is Mark Worthington, or commonly known as Wertho, and you're listening to NBA Australia. You're listening to NBA Australia. And you're listening to NBA Australia. And you're listening to NBA Australia. You're listening to NBA Australia. And you're listening to NBA Australia. And you're listening to NBA Australia. You're listening to NBA Australia. Oh, all right, let's do some yeah nahs. We've got a whole bunch of listener yeah nahs, and uh, I'm excited for this. So the yeah nahs are brought to you by the NBA Australia shop. Go to nbaaustralia.com slash shop, or just click on the links through the socials. Off you go. Buy a T-shirt, get your merch, get your merch. People. Get your merch, get your merch. Wear it. Get your merch, get your merch. Get your merch, get your merch. And I'll send it out to you pronto. As I've said time and time again, Getting building done on the house. I'm going to have to empty this fucking place. So, yeah, it'd be really handy if you bought a T-shirt and I don't have to pack it up. <laughs> a couple of hoodies left as well. Get around it. Right, let's do some yeah nahs. Number one, Matty Owers. We just did the 10 questions. Matty Owers goes, hey, Jimmy, the final series is purely Boston's D versus Warriors O. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, nah, nah. I think that Warriors defense is way more critical than we think because... You can break it down to Boston's defense versus the Warriors' offense. Like, the, in the simple dichotomy of that, right? Like, whichever of those two comes out on top, that team probably wins the series. But it can't be just purely that thing because 
We've seen Boston's defense be really fucking good, but their offense just completely fall apart and they nearly lose game seven against the fucking Heat. And the Warriors' defense, like, that's the reason they beat Dallas. Like, their defense was just that much better. Their offense sort of just did what it needed to do, chopped Dallas apart, but their defense is really just what stymied Dallas and sort of suffocated their will to live. So I do like that, yeah, you can break it down. Matty hits a good point that the Boston D versus the Warriors O, whichever sort of just wins out of those two things, that's probably the answer to who wins the series. But there's so much more that goes into it that, yeah, it's not purely about that, is it? Because Boston, you can't trust just the D without the O. And the Warriors, the same sort of thing. If that defense isn't uh, slowing down Boston, they can get fucking going. We've got a bunch from Jez Oz with Boston's expert ability to shit the bed and the Danny Ainge karma bus seemingly stuck in traffic and yet to arrive. It wouldn't be a surprise if the Dubs won in four. Yeah, nah. Yeah, it would be a surprise if they got swept. Because I just don't think this Warriors team is quite that dominating. And this Boston team and that defense specifically is just that little bit too good. Um, They can shit the bed. And it does feel like uh, it would be a very funny outcome if, like, they've won through to the finals and then they got smoked. Like, it would be funny. The Danny Age karma bus of not re-signing Aaron Bangers, Baines, and Isaiah Thomas, whereas he's, you know... Uh, Brad Stevens has re-signed basically all the other guys that Danny Ainge got rid of. Um, yeah, the karma might just come down at some point in the finals. Just keep an eye on that one. That's a good point by Jez, but I don't think it goes just the four. His second one, four rings with one franchise, Steph, holds much more legacy value than four rings at three teams with hand-picked rosters, LeBron. Yeah, nah. The four rings probably matter more specifically for Steph. Yes. Yeah. I'll say that. I think historically, legacy-wise, the fact that LeBron has only four, like it's going to matter more if Steph has five rings with one franchise. Because like that's Magic Johnson, Jordan territory. Like the three that he's got at the moment, Larry Bird, cool, good on you. Four... That gets him at the same rung as LeBron. And those four probably do mean more because he's stuck with his team rather than sort of jumped around with fucking mercenary intentions and his handpicked rosters. So, yeah, I would say the four rings with one franchise holds more legacy value than the four skipping around and uh, doing different shit. Yeah, that's a good one, Jess. Uh, what else he's got? Uh, he's got another one about the Lakers. The Lakers announcing they're holding on to Rusty's a massive bluff to try and promote a better trade offer. Yeah, nah. Yes, 100%. Anything you hear out of the Lakers camp this offseason is them basically just trying to get rid of Rusty. 100%. Uh, Darvin Ham. <laughs> Darvin Ham Sanger uh, can get him to play a role. He could actually be a weapon again. Yeah, nah. Look, you know me. I always love Rusty Westbrook. He just, the shot falling off a fucking complete cliff, though. Makes it just that much tougher, doesn't it? Um, but if they can convince him into a role, make it fit, make it work that little bit better, it's probably better that it's a new coach. So, yeah, I think Ham Sanger could probably get more out of Westbrook than Vogel could have. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, last one here from Jez Oz. Jimmy Butler needs to be more selfish more often for the Heat to take the next step. Yeah, nah. You... It's a bit tough. 
He needs a number mentality more often is when he doesn't take the bull by the horns, then his supporting cast just can't seem to step up when it counts. Yeah, it's a tricky one because it's like, I feel like Jimmy Butler did almost as much as he could in that series, right? Four good games, two bad ones, and a half and half. It's it's tricky. Like, because without the three-point shot, because Butler, can, you know, will randomly hit a few, as you saw in a... It was a game six where he went four of eight, but because he doesn't have that KD, Devin Booker, Brad Beal, just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I can also hit like a bunch of threes. Let's fucking dance. It's a bit harder, I think, for him just to go, mama mentality, I'm going to do it all myself because for all the free throws, for all the uh, drives, the punishment's just that little bit more. But, yeah, I think this was the year for him to do that. And he kind of did. He's almost at the age, though, where he can't quite get it right over the top, though. So I think he tried, Jez. I think he tried. And he couldn't quite grab that ball by the horns enough. And last one, I am Matty S. What's more likely, Jimmy? Warriors gentlemen's sweep or gentlemen's agreement to play seven games for the money? Yeah, nah. Seven games for the money, 100%. <laughs> As Adam Silvers, VP of Common Fucking Sense, I'd be like, Adam... We need this to go seven. If we want to sell a franchise in Vegas and Seattle, we need all the ratings we can get, bros. And this could be a fucking big one. Um, I was talking about this the other day about how uh, Warriors-Celtics is just, A, great matchup. Basketball-wise, city-wise, coaches-wise, historically, it's just great. And it's great storytelling. And I love nothing more in the NBA than storytelling. And what we can look back on and how it sort of affects us. So, yeah, I'd say, yeah, nah, the uh, the money. 100% the money. Game seven. Warriors, gentlemen, sweep wouldn't surprise me. But seven, as soon as it sort of got past five, yeah, we're going seven because of uh, Adam Silver just going, right, lock it in. We're going seven in the finals, you little ripper. Unpopular opinion of the day. Now, look at me, please. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Oh, God, I've hated this uh, referendum on, like, Steph. Oh, he's not one of the finals MVP. Can we point... I feel like we should just be pointing out time and time again that he was completely fucking jobbed in 2015 about not winning finals MVP. Seriously. Iguodala. Like, yes, Iggy did a good job on LeBron. But, like, there's no way the fucking Warriors win in 15 without Steph Curry. Like, it's just stupid. Um... But also, it's just weird to talk about all this legacy shit because, I don't know, it feels like this Warriors team set up to be good for, what, another three, four years at least? You know? Doesn't that feel weird? Like, they're young, but they're old, but they're old, but they're young. And, uh, I don't know, this legacy talk. Oh, he needs a finals MVP. Yeah, he does, but I don't know if this is his last chance. Anyway, Outback Takehouse for today. It's Wednesday at our back, and now that means, oh yeah, Alice Springs Chicken. We're hitting Amy on the way back down to the fucking studio. Chucked her on a spit. Bloody delicious. That's right, Alice Springs Chicken. It's Emu only at our back. And today's Flow Grill take is Fuck what Jimmy just said. If Steph Curry wins this title, he's automatically, unequivocally the best point guard not named Magic Johnson in the history of the NBA. But only if he wins a finals MVP. Only at Outback. To be honest, isn't he already basically the best point guard outside of Magic in NBA history? Easy. 
I mean, fuck. Isaiah Thomas is really good. He wasn't as good as Steph Curry. <laughs> oh, he's a better defender. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Everyone fucking hated him. He never won an MVP either. Steph's got two of them. A unanimous MVP. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's do the uh, best bets and uh, picks right after. Let's say uh, this one. This is Shane Hill, and you're listening to NBA Australia. Praise the Lord for I'm healed. It is the Shane Heal. Shoot his shoot. Shoot your shot. Light him up award. All right. Uh, just a really quick Shane Heal shoot his shoot. Just like one of those weird sort of uh, memories, as well as going through and talking about the uh, Steph in the finals things, just prompted me to uh, look up. What did he do in each finals? So 2015, 26 points a game. Not bloody bad, bro. Shot 44% from the floor as they beat Cleveland. Cleveland! He hit 25 threes in that series. 38.5% clip. Next year when they lose, he only averages 22 points a game. It's 32 threes at a 40% clip. They lose in seven. 17. Averages 27 points. Hits, what, fucking 19 threes in that one? And they win? That's chaos. Shot 38% from the floor. He goes 22 of 53 when they uh, beat him in 2018. Averages 27 and a half a game. And then obviously in 2019 with uh, KD and Clay gone. Averages 30 points a game. 41 and a bit percent from the floor. 34% from three. It's 23 of 67. Still pretty bloody good <laughs> to hit. 25, 32, 19, 22, and 23 threes in each of his final series. Not bloody bad. Right, but we do have a Paddy Mills Game Day Baller Game Day Twitter check-in, you little beauty, because Paddy, and I expected that this was a thing, that Paddy was going to be like, right, I'm just going to go off, recharge, and we'll do a dump. And it seems like that's what's happened. He's gone to Thursday Island with the missus. They've hung out. They've seen some crazy stuff. They've had some dancing. But basically, it's a lot of Paddy uh, in the Torres Strait Island flag, hanging out in Torres Strait with the Misso, doing a bit of diving, a bit of crabbing, crayfishing. And yeah, had a great time by the looks of it, which is always great because you just know that Paddy has literally just spent the last, what, month <laughs> doing sweet fuck all, but being a legend for everybody around him. And uh, literally, he posted that on IG. was saying, disconnect to reconnect. Power is culture. Bunch of photos with some great folks. He exchanged his uh, profile photo to him in the uh, Torres Strait uh, top. And looking awesome. So, great job, Patty. Always inspiring. And I was waiting for it. And finally, it came. So, it's a nice little uh, bump before we get into the game. Previews and picks for Jimmy. King Jimmy's best bets. Let's do it. NBA Finals Game Preview. Game Preview. Thanks, inadvertent Bane. Not a problem, Jimmy. How's it all going? Oh, bloody good. And a few cocktails and a few beers last night. Brother-in-law's birthday. Talking Celtics, Warriors, NBA Finals. It's very exciting. So, 
So far, these playoffs were 41 and 83 of the picks. And I think a lot of it's been to do with the uh, shooting variation and all, you know the lack of actual shit teams in the playoffs. So it's got us just under 500. Um, but a lot of these games have been tough to pick, haven't they? So, game one, Celtics at Warriors. How are you feeling? Do you think the Warriors come out with a bit of rest? Come out firing? Or the Celtics coming off the highs of holding on <laughs> against the Heat? can take it. Well, the Celtics are four and a half point underdogs in Golden State. And before we get to uh, the pick in game one and the series pick, here are some uh, thoughts. Golden State, pretty hefty favorites, $1.60 to $2.40 for Boston. And as I said on Monday's show, my favorite, and I, again, maybe this is just my dumb neutral brain. Either team in six is $2.90. That's just the uh, series correct score, 4-2. Celtics in six is $5.30. Warriors in six, it's a bit under that. I'll check that because uh, it's sort of changed throughout today already. But essentially what I feel like we'd be looking at is a three... There's not gonna, I don't feel like either team gets up 3-1. I think we go 2-2. Two, two in some order in the first four games, but then either the Warriors or the Celtics rip off the last two. So that is why I'm landing at the series hitting in six. I said earlier, like the money, the money for Adam Silver would be a little bit too much just to uh, go, oh, nah, man, we've got to do this. We've got to got to make sure that we've uh, got seven games. But like Warriors 4-2 is 5-90. Celtics is 5-30 to go 4-2. So... It's actually changed since I wrote it down earlier today. Anyway, but finals MVP, Steph's now $1.90. Jalen Brown's now 11 to 1. Tatum is $2.75. Clay is 19 to 1. It's one of those things where Clay, if he has like three fuck you Clay Thompson games, could win finals MVP. But I just feel like if the Warriors win, Steph's getting it kind of no matter what, unless he's just horrible. Which might happen, but at the same time, if he's horrible, I don't think the Warriors win. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So finals picks, there's a couple of good ones floating around. Steph to drop 40-plus in any game and Golden State to win the finals is $4.25. I love that. The highest points per game average, Tatum of $1.98. I'll be taking that. Kevin Looney with the highest rebounds average, $2.85. 100%. Tatum with the highest rebounds average as well. Flip side, $9.50. Tatum, sneaky lot of rebounds. So for the series, Boston at plus 2.5, so to get within, you know, Basically, to win a game, is it a dollar twenty-two? I kind of like that. Boston in six, as mentioned, the specific five dollars thirty for your four to two. Uh, but just getting them a dollar, well, one and a half games. So for them to win, basically, you know, whether it be four one, four two, uh, that's a three dollars. So if you feel like Boston are going to be uh, going out like the Clappers, that's a three dollars. I like that. Warriors in six, specifically the five dollars ninety. But you can get them at plus one and a half. So. I don't know. That's a dollar thirty-three. I don't know why I'm so fixated on the specific teams in six, but I just think as we get to the end of the series, it's going to be back-to-back wins by game six. So Celtics to win game one, Warriors to win the series five dollars seventy-five. I like that too. But Celtics to win game one and Boston to win the series is two dollars shorter than that, three dollars seventy-five. So if you like the Warriors to win it, but you like the Celtics to win game one, that's tasty. And same with the Celtics. If they win the series, they're probably going to win game one. 
So that's at $3.75, just saying. And then probably my favorite, which leads into the uh, MVP and the pick. Tatum to average 25 in Boston to win is $2.95. Jason Tatum, obviously, to win MVP. $2.75. Boston in six, as mentioned, $5.30. Those are my picks. I'm taking Boston in game one, plus four and a half. I just feel like Warriors getting that little bit of rest, having played a team like Dallas, doesn't quite set them up, I think, for a team like Boston. That defense is not going to be quite as on... Oh, I mean, the Boston defense is going to be that much more on point than uh, Dallas has clearly was. They'll be ready. I think the Celtics can steal game one. And I think the Celtics will win the series. I don't feel confident in any of these, though. That's the thing. Because I'm... So just like happily neutral in this series, I'm kind of like, yeah, either team in six would be cool. I'd actually prefer if the series went seven, obviously, because what's my mantra over here? More basketball is good. <laughs> but I just feel like, yeah, the um, end of the series, someone, t- one of these teams will just get on a roll and close it out. So Tatum to average 25, Boston to win. Tatum MVP and Boston in six just sort of sits kind of nice with me. So there you go. How do you feel about that? excited? Because I am. Nice one. So, we're back Friday. No, no, obviously, nothing tomorrow because unless something pops up and I have a uh, guest or something out of nowhere, uh, we'll just come back for Friday and do a wrap of Game 1 of the NBA Finals. We might do a couple of pop-ins on the uh, Facey Live. Keep an eye out for that on the socials, on the old Twitter, the Facey, the IGs. Uh, might just pop in and out, say good day, get a couple of... Uh, Bloody Mary's into us. What do you reckon? Sounds good. I'm excited. you got to get excited for the finals. Uh, NFL Australia with myself and Gaz. Go subscribe to that. World Wrestling Australia with Adam. Same thing. Over on YouTube, that is. Uh, get around the NBA Australia shop on nbaaustralia.com slash shop. Or just click through the socials. Off you go. Check us a rating review on your podcast app. Knowable. Download that. Bang in the code Australia. Get 20% off. Uh, big thanks go to From Oslo for the intro and outro song. They rule. And so do Joshua Delarantis. Fascinated. Gold my Dram Shaker Army. Iowa Sex Should I... Green, 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 and dozer for all the tunes you hear throughout the show. Smash them all on Bandcamp, Triple J and Earth, Facey, Apple Music, Spotify, however you listen to tunes, whatever. Support Australian bands. That's what NBA Australia does. And we're going to close out today's preview show with just a happy little Jingles HR. Exciting times. And we will catch you on Friday, you dickheads, for the finals. Woo! They're here. That's right. This is NBA Australia saying, looking after yourselves. Your buddy well better be. Speak down Friday. Later, Hosen. Joe Ingalls here, head of Jingles HR, the world's leading HR solutions firm. Because, yep, when I'm not sinking threes, rehabbing my knee, drinking all this delicious Portland coffee, or enjoying my uh, condo in Paul George's head, it's a bit of rehab in the pool, I am the world's leading HR expert, helping you with all your HR questions and problems. So, let's get to this week's question, shall we? It comes from a Darwin in Los Angeles. Oh, jeez. Joseph, this is all in all caps as well. I feel like he's yelling at me. Joseph, 
I just took a new job in a big market and doing a big job, but it came with a bit of a rep for a couple of troublesome employees. The new gigs HR reps were adamant they'll be fine. But do you have any tips for coming in as a manager and dealing with some troublesome egos and personalities? Thanks, Darwin. Jeez, that's a lot of caps, I'll tell you that much. But anyway, cheers, Darwin. Thanks for writing in. And yeah, I'll tell you what, this is a tricky spot, isn't it? When you take a new job, there's always going to be problems with making sure that your new employees are on board with you and your philosophies. You've got to be on the same page. But... This is a tricky thing because if you're talking about egos and personalities, it makes it a lot more different, doesn't it? Because depending on the size of the egos, there's a few easy ways to spell out what you're about. I obviously personally love the take everyone to the pub for Friday froths approach because everyone gets to see you relaxed and in a social setting rather than simply just as some new boss who's swanned in And they, in turn, get to relax in a comfortable setting and get to know the new guy a little bit, you know? It relaxes them, gets them off guard, you hang out, maybe chuck a barbie if you don't want to go out in public, you know what I'm saying? And if you do all the shouting if you're at the pub, I mean, who doesn't love it when the boss puts on all the drinks? It's bloody awesome. Same goes for your barbie. Just fill up a couple of eskies with a bunch of beers and off you go. But just don't get on the crazy juice as like uh, other people call it, the tequila. Just, yeah, it's not not a good scene. But look, there are some other simple ways to go about it, Darwin. Funny presentations where you up, open up about who you are. Look, I love fluffy dogs and stuff like that. Water fights, paintballing, go-karts, the list goes on. Get your new employees out and about, though, and doing stuff with you to connect with them. That's the trick of the gig. And hopefully, that'll sidestep any ego issues because you're all on the same level, you see. I mean, as we say here at Jingles HR... It's not the size of the ego that's the problem. It's the size of your response that matters. All right, so there you go, Darwin. I hope that helps and best of luck. I think you're going to need it. All right, that's all I've got time for this week. This has been Jingles HR. I've been Joe Ingalls. Going to go call my best mate Dyson Daniels. Go get some rehab up yeah.